Hello all and welcome back to the Council Spooky Exclusive where the Spooky Socialists are going to be looking at the next chapter in Netflix's The Haunting Saga, The Haunting of Blind Manor. So joining me today is fellow Spooky Socialist Natalia. Natalia, say hi to everyone. Hi, we call ourselves Spooky Socialists, um, not because we are doing this for Spooky Season, but because we like horror and we are both socialists. Yes, indeed. Um, she hit the nail on the head right there. So. A quick synopsis before we get started, and then we're going to, you know, talk about our thoughts and our feelings and all the deep shit in the show and then maybe cry a little bit. Who knows? You know, this this is likely going to cry. So a quick synopsis before we get started. The Haunting of Bly Manor is a loose adaptation of the iconic Henry James novella, The Turn of the Screw. Seriously, Hollywood, stop adapting The Turn of the Screw. Victoria Pedretti stars and shines as the lead Danielle a woman with a past who has been hired as an au pair to a pair of children in the English countryside. While living at Bly Manor, the dark scars of tragic love that live on those grounds start revealing themselves, all the while blossoming love is poisoned in the process. So, Natalia, The Haunting of Bly Manor, what, 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 what did you think? How did you feel about the show? How did it affect you? So many thoughts, so many feelings. Um, there are so many ways that I can talk about this show. Um, um, I do want to open and preface with the fact that I've heard and read and seen a lot of complaints about the show, um, about how it's not as scary as Hill and all of this kind of, um, first off, it's horror. It's not, okay. No, first off, it's a freaking anthology. It's not supposed to be the same. Mike Flanagan did us a great honor in casting Pendretti and Cohen and Gugino and 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 Blue Eyes. Uh, what's his name? What's his name? Ben, what's his name? Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Thank you. And and Henry Thomas in this. He he did that for us, okay? Um, and we're it's an anthology. We're not supposed to feel the exact same things about these actors, like how we did with Hill, because they're new people. Um, and I also want to bring out the fact that this is not, that it's not as scary. And that's freaking fine. The point of horror is not about jump scares and scaries and spooks and spookiness. It's not about that. I feel like this show does so much to um, aid in the diversification of the horror genre and the fluidity of it. It's not, it is a gothic romance and the gothicness comes from the very depressing aspects of the romance. Um, it's not supposed to be a super scary ghost story like how it was last time. And that's freaking fine because horror does not live upon your own assumptions of it. Horror is not just scares. Horror is your own. I did, I did tweet about this. And, and so I just want to put this out there in the world at least for the for all of you listening and some of you watching. I don't know if we're gonna put this on YouTube, but we'll find out. Um, this needs to be said, I'm just gonna quote myself. 
Flanag Mike Flanagan's haunting. Mike Flanagan's haunting of Bly Manor's lack of scares and spooks is a, in the season is completely justifiable. It allows the diversification and malleability of the horror genre. It's not about scares and horrors. It's about the emotiveness and catharsis of it. It's about the emotional and subconscious reactions and responses to not only the scares, but the deep and relatable feeling of love and care and passion. It's meant to be emotionally gripping. You're meant to have an interpersonal connection with these people and their plights. You should not go in to anything of the horror genre and assume it is going to be more of the same. Because even though that does tend to be the great majority of this genre, um, Mike Flanagan likes to put stuff on its head and Mike Flanagan likes to put stuff on his head and just likes to do a fun little 180. You're not allowed to, um, this is going very long, but what I wanted this, all of this to boil down to is horror is not meant to be a genre of consistency. Horror is meant to be a genre of, in the case of Mike Flanagan, catharsis. Um, one's own emotional interpretation of a show or movie or anything is most definitely up to that person, up to the viewer. Um, but you should not be so dependent upon the scares of it. You can allow yourself the time to be with these people because at the end of the day, it's a character study of not only the characters on the screen, but yourself and how you react to what is happening. And I don't mean what is happening and like, oh, that was scary. I mean, in the way that these people go about with the way that they connect with the people around them. And in this case, the house itself. That was a very, very long preface. And I'm so sorry to Yusuf. Um, this show is very depressing. Um, I, uh, I really want to talk about the, um, the very, the queer aspect of this show because this show is very queer. Um, I want to talk about compulsory heteronormativity. I don't know if you guys know that term, but combat is, let's just Google it, shall we? Because people are going to yell at me if I don't give them an actual definition. Compet. There's a quiz? God. Compulsory heteronormativity is the idea that heterosexuality is assumed and enforced by the patriarchal and heteronormative society. Boom. Okay. I want to talk about compent in relation to Danny um, because she's just a little gaby. Um, I, I really love this show because not only is it very queer and very sad, um, but it's very queer and very sad. And a lot of the underlying understanding of the show and the way that it treats queerness um, has a lot to do with the
the time that this show was set in is the 80s but it this topic could be said for any time that it was placed if it was placed into now or what have you um danny's trauma not only comes from her watching her best friend die in front of her um but it also stems from her being kept in that cage of compulsory heteronormativity, her refusal of allowing her sexuality to be internalized and legitimized has caused her all the more suffering with not only the constant watching of that ghost, but also with her intense lack of refusal to accept her own sexuality in relation to Jamie, is that her name? I think that's her name. Um, I, I love this show so much. I don't love it as much as, um, as Hill, um, but that mostly just stems from the fact that I felt like this show, at least pacing-wise, just felt a little weaker. Um, um, I, I still really love it, though, because it does talk a lot about the emotional repercussions of one's own internalized um, homophobia, one's own internalized trauma. And it, it just like a lot of, you feel as though you are a ticking time bomb because of one's refusal of acceptance of trauma. I did just talk about this in, in my, in the ending of Hill House, um, but it's true that I feel like is probably gonna end up being a constant outlier in this anthology, should it get a third season, please get a third season, um, which is one's own trauma um, and the overcoming of that. Uh, I really, I really love this show because of the emotional aspects to it and the romantic aspects to it because it's not very lovey-dovey um, and nor should it be. It talks about romance in a very, um, I don't know, I guess like legitimate understanding of it uh, because it isn't hyper-romantic. It's 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 constant it's it's just so beautiful and so sad at the same time because you want these people to be together but we all know in the back of our minds that that's not going to end up working out um and they know that too and it's just it's so sad because you place a lot of these romantic elements in a very hopeful sense 
but it's tremendously grounded in reality. Um, I would like to quote, I found this on Tumblr last night and I cannot get my head out of it. Um, this is from a Tumblr user, URL is by Frankenstein. I love that. Uh, they write, Peter possessing Rebecca's body with the promise of safety and then misusing her trust to literally kill her and imprison her spirit at Bly with him and then quote unquote apologizing to her by returning to a memory of her topless, vulnerable, confusing and being photographed, parentheses, objectified, post parentheses, by wearing another dead lady's coat, parentheses, that he stole, post parentheses, which while he tells her that she's beautiful over and over as if a woman's worth isn't even in her being alive, only in pleasing a man. I love that because it talks a lot about the fragility of the male ego and their own understanding of what they believe to be a happy moment, but it's just a reflection of their own hyper-possessiveness of a woman and their body. And I love that so much. Um, Mike Flanagan only directed, I believe it was the first episode, but even though he stepped back a lot for the season, I could still feel a lot of him there. And that I felt like was a lot of, of I don't know because you don't know if that's Mike or not. You don't know if he has that same kind of understanding of the fragility of the male ego. And, and I hope that he does. Um, but I just, I love this show for being able to understand that the horror genre and the romantic genre and the horror genre, the romantic genre can be so greatly linked um, without it feeling like cheesy and like something to be put on the side. It has a great interconnectedness and one should not equate horror to jump scares. One should equate horror to emotional responses the haunting of light minor i want to everything natalia said i love i love i think natalia you have a very good i think grasp of the true deeper themes of this show which is um and i think that's good for people to get because it is different from hill house they're two different shows this is an anthology show if it was too much like hill house y'all would be complaining that it was too much like hill house and that it was you know stupid and yada yada my clonigan can't do shit you know just shut up and enjoy it. Okay, this it's it's actually a very good show. But the haunting of Bly Manor, you know, full disclosure, it didn't always work for me. I didn't love the new setting. Um, it wasn't as effective, in my honest opinion. And I don't think we needed all of the episodes we got. I could have easily gone without the episodes focusing on Miles, Hannah dream jumping, and then the other episode with dream jumping, and then Rebecca and Peter's whole thing. It wasn't always that gripping for me. Uh, I also feel like the lack of a true you know a real performance you know we kind of got it with um i'll say viola in the last like or viola in the last ep in the last two episodes i think it was the second last episode episode eight we kind of got it there like with but with the true performance of just pure 
like sadness and rage and we kind of got it with Victoria Pedretti as well but again we only kind of got a performance like Carla Gugino's last season like there wasn't this kind of central drive that I've kind of felt because every Mm -hmm. go ahead sorry um I felt like I felt like um Kate Siegel's Viola was a response to that I felt like that is our our Carla Gugino, albeit at the end. Um, mainly just because it was tremendously emotionally gripping. It was so, it was so sad. It was one, you, you thought that um, they were gonna take Tress with the clothes and then they just throw it in the lake. And that I felt like is a great, um, I don't know. I, you guys all know I'm a socialist and you, and I, I question a lot my own. Um... <laughs> response to um, material materialism and greed. Um, so that, action of putting the uh how the the chest in the lake was quite funny to me um because the family was compartmentalizing their own um their own material wealth and the frugality and um, necessity of such objects. Um, but we, we're going to bring some time up to talk about, um, Viola, I'm sure. So I'm just going to jump back to Yeah, I have, um, I talked about Viola in my notes later on, but what I was getting at is that I kind of see where you're coming from because in Hill House, everything that happened went back to, you know, lives descent into madness and i kind of see where you're coming from the how everything came back to the lady in the lake but i feel like the fact that we didn't get to know the lady in the lake until so far on later on in the season it wasn't as effective for me but again look this is just for me so i understand if that works for you and i do agree that kate siegel probably did i'd say about as good of a job a very good job i'd say because she didn't get a lot of time, I wouldn't say as good of a job as Carla Gugino. If she had gotten as much time, she probably would have. But, you know, I'm just going to move on. But I just have to say that I really missed that central performance, that driving performance. But alas, this is still absolutely an amazing piece of gothic horror. The set design and production design is top-notch, as well as the cinematography, which makes the show as creepy as and as atmospheric as Hill House before it. What I didn't like was that not all of the characters were as gripping to me 100% of the time. I love people like Danny and Jamie and their dynamic, which I'll get to. But as for the characters that I didn't get sick of, you know, that I did really like, I really liked Danny, Jamie, Flora, Miss Jessel and Hannah. Everyone else kind of faded into the background for me a little bit. I liked Miles a, a good bit, but I did kind of prefer Flora. But everyone did a very good acting job. I just wasn't as invested in everyone as much of the time as I was with those five, and I wasn't invested as everyone as much as I was in Hill House. Not to keep going back to Hill House, this is very much its own show, but I just need to, um, I don't know, I kind of feel like I need to make that correlation between the, the two. 
But as for the love on the show, this is what I really, really like. So Mike Flanagan, um, he said that this isn't necessarily like a horror or ghost story. It's more of a love story. And I think that, you know, I'll get to how the love and the ghost blend together amazingly. I kind of had like a eureka moment when I was writing my notes. Um, but I do have to say, I love how the show tackles different types of relationships, like not just with the different types of relationships that are you know ahead of us, but also toxic relationships like marriages, you know, young loves, like stuff like that. Sibling dynamics, family, you know, it, it did everything I think it really needed to do, you know. And I'm going to get into everyone now, at least what I can remember, but we're going to start off with, I think, everyone's favorite. That's Jamie and Danny. And I think the love between Jamie and Danny, it's very pure, it's new. And blossoming but it's also like a Romeo and Juliet type thing because it was always doomed from the start you know um we saw this kind of curse on Danny you know with her fiance that entire episode and that storyline it was very effective but their love you know just having to tackle the lady in the lake which I'll get to who's like I'm gonna get to lady in the lake and what I have to say about her and Viola but I really just thought that it was tragic um heartbroken all those types of things but I do think that the relationship between Jamie and Danny you know it was doomed from the beginning as I said but another doomed romance that I enjoyed in the show was between Hannah and Owen you know I enjoyed this romance in particular because both were just very very kind people and they were just so perfect for each other and I really do think that they both deserved happiness but ultimately happiness wasn't in the cards for them and I think that adds to the more tragic elements of this story and to the show and this adaptation. I thought it was really, really effective. But as for a romance that frankly got under my skin, that was of Peter Quint and Lady Jessel. Because watching Peter destroy Rebecca through manipulation honestly just disgusted me. It was so sad to watch. However, I will say that I loved watching Rebecca gain some independence and agility as a character in terms of making sure that what happened to her Never happened to anyone else ever again. Then we get to the Wingraves, where, yay, Alex Esso showed up and did a phenomenal job. But when it comes to the relationship between Lord and Lady Wingrave, I liked taking a look at failed marriages and cheating in relationships. You know, I liked seeing how that guilt will forever haunt Henry Thomas's character. You know, like, even though he ultimately came to forgiveness and came to forgive himself, I love how you know, that guilt, it will, it will kind of always be there, um, which I thought was really sad. And I also thought that, you know, that those scenes where Lord Wingrave knows and he's talking to Lady Wingrave and he's talking to his brother, it was, it was very effective. It was very tense. It was very McFlanagan. I have to say the sibling love and the sibling dynamic between Flora and Miles and how they protected each other was also very nice to see. The strong, the strong sibling dynamic really worked, especially when both were such, such, such good trial actors, like really, really amazing, particularly Flora. I thought that that, that girl was very, very good. Now, but finally, this is kind of the last of my notes when it comes to the love, it's that we're taking a look at the lady in the lake and how the dynamic between Viola and her sister Perdita to Viola and her husband to Viola and her daughter, you know, because it was Viola and her sister, they looked out for each other. It was them against the world. And then it became, you know, Viola was loved Perdita as well, but she also, you know, came to love her husband. But then, you know, when she got sick, all Viola truly seemed to care about was her daughter. But every single one of those people failed Viola, essentially breaking her heart three times over. And I think that 
that led to the creation of something so evil and empty that I think that evil and empty is what becomes of people when they experience heartbreak. And I think that what was really amazing is watching this show, they essentially made a ghost that was born out of emptiness and heartbreak. And I think that that is truly amazing for a gothic horror story that's tackling love. I think that that is the most genius thing you can do because that's essentially what the Lady in the Lake is, born out of sadness and emptiness because of heartbreak. So genius, Mike Flanagan, genius. I, gotta close my phone. I, um, yes, um, I would like to preface this. Or I, no, I would just like to state many shit. Um, please see Peter Quint here. Um, <laughs> such a dick. Ugh, I'm reminded every single day why I'm a lesbian whenever I watched his scenes. Um, I don't know. I think I just, I really, I'm going to talk about the lady in the lake now. I really loved that Carla Gugino's monologue about her, where she would sleep and wake and walk. Um, and the cycle would continue all over again before she decided to go up to the house. And I, I was just so... It's so sad because you're living with a constant monotony of the world that you would expect to just end up accepting and understanding, but of course not because you're a hopeful person and you think that, hey, one day I'm gonna get this, I'm, I'm gonna find my child. And she, she never does, it's just so sad it's it's the it's just truly the love of a grieving mother that's honestly what it boils down to in the case of her walking um and I really love that you could feel that she ended up becoming such a sad shell of a human of a spirit and even with that, she still had just such care for what she wanted and such a drive and such a fire that she became hyper-dependent upon it. And it ended in her demise of being trapped inside Danny. It was, it's just so sad. And I want us to talk about um, when they go to Vermont, but I feel like you have something to say about um, uh, Lady in the Lake, so. Yeah, it's just that with the Lady in the Lake and we'll move on to Vermont, Vermont. Um, you know, she essentially has been had her heart broken three times. Once by Perdita, second by her husband, and then by her daughter. And I think her daughter, you know, she really, while she felt abandoned by everyone, I, I kind of felt like a lady. She felt that her daughter would love her and be there for her. But when that didn't happen, I kind of felt like, you know, something broke. And that's when the ghost was born. That's when the lady in the lake, that's when Viola died. 
on the Lady in the Lake was born. You know, because there's a difference between the two. Viola was a person, you know, was, you know, you could see it was Kate Siegel. But the Lady in the Lake was this empty shell that just took. And um, I don't think Viola ever would have done that. And I just, I thought it was, it's amazing. Like Flanagan is a genius. Whoever directed the episode is also very good. And you're right with Carlo Gugino. That monologue of just the wash, rinse, repeat of the, she woke up, she walked, and she waited, or whatever it was. Brilliant. I loved it. From on time. Do me to go? Awesome. So, at the very end of the show, you know, it was, you have the kind of the resolution of light at the beginning of episode 10. And, you know, she says the words, and that's when the love between Danny and Jamie becomes kind of cursed and haunted. And so then, you know, so they decide they leave. But then, so yeah, they leave Bly, they go to Vermont. Vermont. So, Danny and Jamie, they travel around America for a little bit, but they decide to settle down in Vermont and they open up a flower shop. And for about 20 minutes, you really see their life. And it's the only re- true successful love that happens out of this show, you know. I suppose you could argue that it was Flora in the end who got married, but and it was everyone around her who made sure that she could have that. Yeah. But I think when in terms of the actual characters who we saw fall in love, Jamie and Danny got the best of it. They had years. And I think it, it was in another... I've seen that in some other project before, where it's like they didn't have long, but they had that time oh what's that from that's from something ah i don't know i don't know what it's from but you know they have that time together from mike flanagan maybe Mm. i don't know Mm. i I have no idea no it's not from mike flanagan it's like a love movie or something i don't watch a lot anyway um yeah so you know we they get to have their time together and even though it comes to an end like tragically and we've and the revelation then that jamie was carlo gugino all along and that the opening episode when we saw carlo gugino in the hotel she leaves the door open she sleeps by the room by the open door she runs the bath to check it was just so sad and oh like it, it completely it was the one love story i think that truly hit like really a lot of the love stories on the show you didn't really, you know, feel a lot of them. But this one, I think that because of the acting, the writing and the circumstances, it was perfect. It was just amazing. So, yeah, that's that's all I have to say before I break into tears or whatever. But, you know, Natalia, what do you have to say about Vermont? That is everything I wanted the American... Um... God, no, I'm not going to say that. That is everything that I want. I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to open up a flower shop with my girlfriend, um, but I, 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 I want to live quietly and fruitfully and softly and well. You know, um, I. I just got, I was, I was watching that and I was like, I want that. 
I don't, I want to be filled with like an abundance of stuff going back to um, my uh, problem with materials and all that jazz. Um, I, it was just so soft and good and sweet. However, comma, um, Danny and Jamie had such an understanding of their own trauma and I really loved that Danny was so accepting and open about um, the way that the lady in the lake was was reacting to being with Danny and how that like really messed with her mentally. Um, and I really love that she was actually able to like vocalize that to Jamie because it shows a tremendous amount of growth with before not being open to telling her fiance that she's a lesbian to not telling anyone that he died to just, uh, it was a lot of hiding and internalizing that trauma and like a lack of vocal ability. Um, and I was really proud that she was actually like able to tell Jamie about that because you wouldn't think that that would be the case. And since we are creatures of habit, you would assume, oh, she's just gonna keep that stuff inside. Um, but she was able to tell that. And I was really, really proud of her for that. And I was proud of the way that they accepted it, that they were like, yeah, you have a faceless ghost living inside of you. And, and that's that. We're just going to have to live with it. It's pivoting around your own situations in a, in a, it's pivoting around your own situations knowing the end goal and still living each day fruitfully. Okay, that's it. I can talk about so much, but I, I thought that their love was beautiful. Mm. It was the epitome of romance, truly. So romantic. So um, yeah, that's pretty much, is that all of your thoughts? I have no more notes left. Is that all of your thoughts on Bly Manor? Uh, Tania Miller is a lesbian yes. and I'm sad that she did not get any queerness but whatever's Owen is the best boy that's also what I have to say Tania Miller I felt like was probably one of the strongest um, characters I felt like we could have um, done a bit more on the um, dream mental jumping of that because the lore of it was a little vague and I'm still kind of confused about it, but it's fine. I can still watch it and come up with my own headcanons about it. You're never supposed to get complete answers about all of these things. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, Tania Miller, true talent, truly. Like 
I did not know that she was a lesbian, but I don't think I'm like she was so talented. I thought I wish she had more to do. I wanted more like she could have gotten like a true like Viola Davis like crying scene. You know the way that Viola Davis like can cry like literally nobody else can cry. I felt like Hannah deserved a, a, a scene where she just screamed and shouted and like rebelled against this horrible fate that she had found herself in. I, I kind of really wanted that. I feel robbed I didn't get it because she's so talented. Um, but as long as Tania Miller and Lady Jessel, Owen, all of those people get more work, I'm fine with it. Uh, also, Jamie, everyone was just so talented. Owen, you know, best boy Owen. Oliver Jackson Cohen, you know, even though I didn't like his character, he was so good. That's he did a really good though. job. You're supposed yeah. to hate him. He's supposed mm. to be a dick. I don't know if that was supposed to be the case with Stephen Crane, um, but if it was, good on him. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kind of felt that that was the point with Steve. Steve's an asshole. Everyone said Steve's an asshole. You know, nobody likes Steve, really. Not even his wife. But that's, you know, different show. Um, yeah, everyone was just so good. I hope they all work again. And while I didn't love it 100% of the time, I implore you to watch it this Halloween. It is kind of a gothic horror romantic masterpiece in a way. Like, if you're into this stuff, I'm not 100% into it. That's probably why it didn't work for me as much as Hill House did. I preferred that dynamic. But if you're into it, it's probably perfect if you're really, really into it. So I can't really recommend it enough, even though I give it like about an eight, eight and a half, nine out of 10. I just see the thing is, is that when you're pretty good or just great, but when the haunting of Hill House is what set the bar for you and you're just pretty good, that's what's disappointing. If this had come first and then it was Hill House, it would be like, look at this, you know? But I saw someone say that when, when, when you're pretty good and even really good, but Hill House is what set the bar, that's what's disappointing. So I think people need to really take Hill House out of it and just enjoy this as another story in this saga. And if you do that, it's what I tried to do. You'll have a much better time with it. So I implore you all to watch The Haunting of Blind Manor on Netflix. And please know that it is an anthology and it is not supposed to be a copy-paste. Exactly. So exactly. that's what the Spooky Socialists have for you today. Join us again tomorrow for a kind on of a Halloween. culmination. On Halloween. On Halloween. For this spooky culmination of Mike Flanagan greatness. You know, long live Mike Flanagan. He is the maestro. You know, if, if me and Natalia ever become dictator, he will be the chief of, you know, propaganda filmmaking. And I think we both look forward to that. Yes. Yep. So we'll see you all tomorrow with our final chapter in this spooky, spooky exclusive, spooky concert exclusive. See you then. Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. <laughs>